Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Yes, I am. So joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions, the president. <laughs> it's a weird emphasis, and not on your thing. Yeah, it's actually a reference to an old Denzel Washington movie. Okay, joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Nobody called me a president. You're the yeah. president of my heart, Lee. Well, this took a deeply weird turn. You know, I, I would Slightly actually, quicker than normal. I would like to actually stipulate something that when, I'll allow it. when you're the head of a nonprofit organization, right. legally the title is president. That's right. like in legal documents. Sure, sure. But it is. Because you wanted to be El Capitan. Right. You know, uh, uh, or, or as I'm known. In the in the Latino community, El Queso Grande, sure, sure. Very which good. means highly <laughs> revered and respected leader. That's yeah, not right. at all what that means. It's an old yeah. Aztec word for chieftain. Right. So exactly right. Thank you, Matt. But since that's the legal title, I just the just like when people ask what's the title, I would just say president. But it's funny how many people go, "Ooh, president!" Well, hello. <laughs> like, I, what other it is honorific would be? You know, I am the grand vizier. Uh, I, I, I am. I am the person who is in charge. Ooh, within. <laughs> so you know, maybe people just do that about all. Maybe you just mean people do that about all job titles. I think. Ooh, I think it, associate salesperson. <laughs> well, I, th- I think exactly. beat them at that game. Say, hey, I'm Glenn. I'm better than you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Just yeah. get that out there. Well, you know, if it's true, Jed, then the truth will set you free. That's what they say. Well, yeah. this we're not going to transition our emergency yet, but I am going to. I'm going to do something we do occasionally on the podcast. Given what we started, I'm going to request a story from Brother Glenn, okay. and that is about the actual nickname you were given by some Northside Puerto Rican gang members <laughs> that you maybe had to smooth over a little bit. Well, yes. Um, okay, t- uh, t- tell the story quickly. Um, I'm being interviewed by the Chicago Tribune, I think it was, maybe the Sun-Times. I think, so. I think I think it was. Tribune sounds better. Let's go with that. One of those, you know. And uh, so a reporter's with me, and uh, the reporter wanted to meet some of the guys I was working with. I said, oh, maybe you probably don't want to do that. It's kind of dangerous. No, I really do. So I said, okay, there's a restaurant in the neighborhood. They all like to go there. I'll tell them, meet us there, and I'm buying. They'll be there, and you can ask them whatever you want. But, you know, they're pretty intense. We get there. The guys are there. They're having a good time. I'm having a good time. The reporter is scared out of her ever-loving mind. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so she says, She oh, her opening question was, so when you first met Glenn, what did you think of him? Well, you know, the answer to that, the honest answer to that question what is- What is this white guy from Texas doing here? Exactly right. Uh, but they wouldn't- They don't want to be disrespectful. They would never be disrespectful, especially in front of you know someone who would be publishing this. So they literally just sat there and stared at her in an extremely menacing way and didn't say a single word. So 
I attempted to diffuse the situation. Diffuse the situation. Now, sometimes when you're diffusing on the fly, right, you don't think through the answers so much because you don't have the time. The, the, the ramifications <laughs> of the hinterlands. Exactly. So I gave an answer for everyone else, and my answer was: the first time they saw me, they said, "Well, there goes the best dressed pimp I've ever seen in my life." Because these gang members were thinking, well, this is going to be the newspaper. We don't think any, we don't say anything untoward. You were thinking, not that. Yes. Uh, so the result of that was the fellows, bless them, laughed for about the next two minutes solid. And uh, the reporter shifted gears and we got, we got down to a good interview. But afterwards, the guys were discussing it and they came up to me and said, well, you know, look, we, you know, we all have nicknames for each other as part of what we do in the neighborhood here. And we think it's wrong, you know. You guys, you have a relationship with us, and you're 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 kind of our guy that helps us with the Jesus stuff. And so we thought we would have a a, a, a nickname for you. So we we met about it. We consulted each other, and we decided on Pimp Daddy that that would be uh, your your uh, your nickname. So. I've been, I have been afraid ever since that uh, one of those guys will run into me in church and yell out across the, 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 the sanctuary. Yeah. Pimp uh, Daddy. Hey, Pimp Daddy. Yeah. So, you know. It's good. Hey, Pimp Daddy, I know you from the old days. It's not really right. a phrase <laughs> when you're meeting with the pastor and his wife. Right. That you want to come up. Yeah. Well, so. I've, I hope we all enjoyed that. I know I did. I and certainly did. Now, but it's not all fun and games here on the Say That Podcast. We have a beef update emergency. Dun, dun, dun. Are you declaring a beef update emergency? I think if we have one, it has to be declared. Let me tell you what. I'm a stickler for parliamentary procedure. I know you are. Mission USA staff meeting proves nothing. It's everything (laughs) decent and in order. Well, in order, anyway. Would you like to sound the emergency call? I declare an emergency! It's good. It's got to go for three full seconds, sir. Doesn't good, count. exactly right. That's right. There's a lot of good decay on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, as you may remember, a couple of episodes ago, we tried to kick off a new Christian podcast beef. Oh, yep. yeah. That's, that's so right. We've been stuff. doing it with I, whatever his name is, with the ice teeth and the smiles and the twang. And uh, he's always uh, got a positive message. He has no lips. Yeah. Um, yeah. You you all know that guy. What, what that guy. So, but what we weren't really getting a lot of traction. Yeah, is the thing. He was ignoring us. That's what was happening. He was he was playing hard to get on the beef front. He acted like he had no idea who we were. Yeah, and it's not that we have any particular. <laughs> we weren't beefing with this guy because we had any particular bad feelings. We don't know anything about him. That's right. All we know is he has the number one podcast on the Christian iTunes charts, and right. that's the spot we want. Absolutely, that's obviously. right. So we're going for that, and uh, just just he's he's not given us the. Uh, you know, your your East Coast, West Coast rap beef does not work if the other right. side's not firing off diss tracks That's as right. well. That's right. To use the way the kids talked in 1993. Yeah. Mm, very with hip. The diss tracks. So we decided, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're starting too high. Right. Maybe, you know, he's a big dog. A lot right. of people come after him. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, you know, let's ease into this. Let's start beefing right. with number two. Right. And then we'll get that fired up. Right. So number uh, number two is a fellow named John... John, Bob, Mark. Something. MacArthur. John, something. John MacArthur. I remember MacArthur. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah, because he was related to General Douglas MacArthur. That's right. So we fired down. Right. We mocked mercilessly 
the imaginary life we assume this guy has because yeah. we didn't really do we don't research anything about him either. We, but, we don't but know. based on good guesses, I mean, our hypotheses are probably correct. Yeah. But, hey, Glenn made a joke about being related to General MacArthur. We looked it up. That was true. Yeah, that's right. So, so. we feel like we're hitting all all uh, bases here, um, fellas. We ain't heard back. Nothing. Not what? a peep. Well, what, did we not attack uh, viciously enough? Uh, this is, I, I don't know what to do with this information. Because well, I felt like we really put our heart into that. We really got in there. Well, let me let me pitch you an alternate concept. Okay. Okay. I'm scrolling, because I'd forgotten dude's name. I'm scrolling through uh, the uh, you know, your top religion and spirituality, because that's okay. kind of the name of the category, podcast. Right. And uh, I don't see this dude on here at all anymore. Whoa. What? Is it possible, as opposed to attacking too hard, uh, not hard enough, we may have come out a little strong there. We did hit we him just, so hard he's just gone. Did we, we skip beef and just destroy him outright? Wow. Yeah, that's right. That's wow. right. That's how we do. You know, that uh, that seems really, like, wonderful. Yeah. It feels like the other yeah, Christian right. podcasts up on the list need to watch it, because we have the power right. to make you go away. That's, that's you know, I think that's the main takeaway here. We will beef you into the cornfield. We reward yeah. fealty with love, betrayal with vengeance. Mm. That's right. Is, that's in the Bible, right? It, it sounds like it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Close enough. Close okay. enough. Well, there you go. No, I, you know, I mean, part of me is disappointed because I like a good beef. Sure, totally. Sure. You know, if you get a really good back and forth going and right. battling, right. you're saying snarky things with the tweet. Yeah. And he tweets back something. That's great. Yeah. You know, that's that's what you want. Well, if you could beef with anybody in history, who'd, who'd you beef with, Glenn? Uh, myself. Really? Wow. Yeah. Current I, Glenn versus either past Glenn or future Glenn. Future Glenn. Ooh. You know. What about Bizarro Glenn? Well, uh, the uh, Nelg, if you will. Uh, 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 Bizarro Glenn is actually a lovely, lovely person that wouldn't involve himself <laughs> in anything like that. So that Always would, behaves. Yeah, that would just wouldn't work. That I dude mean, loves a nice pair of slacks. He has, That's, he, he, really has, does. he has a normal circadian rhythm. Yeah, he's. You know what it is? Is he's on time everywhere he goes. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, he likes to look on the bright side. He does. He's just. I love the looks, idea of of Bizarro Glenn receiving the tweet of a just a just a just raucous beef from real Glenn right. and just going. I just love real Glenn. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Nelg is very sweet. Just yeah, very. He's doing his thing. You yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, he he think he's so many times he thinks you know I bet that guy has a lot of problems in his own life. You know, and you know what else through. is bizarro? Glenn never cusses. That's, <laughs> no, that's the thing that <laughs> makes him amazing. True. Just he's, a Flanders style yeah, fill just, in. Yeah, just, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Stubs his toe. Oh, crab apples. I mean, because here, but here's the point, fellas. We have to stay focused. I, you know, I think the, the, you know, part of me is disappointed that the beef just is not beefing properly. Right, the beef is gone. But, uh, the that's, beef has gone away. The, the, that's exactly right. Uh, but then, on the other hand, it kind of feels good to have destroyed someone. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, this is from the Bible, the idea of you know seeing your enemies driven before you and hearing the lamentations of their women. I, <laughs> not quite. Not is, exactly. Is that from the book of Conan? <laughs> 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 oh, wait, here we go. I found him. I scrolled far enough. 
Mm. Currently, Grace to You Radio Podcast, John MacArthur, which we were looking at last time, has fallen from two all the way to number 61. Boom. You got served, son. That's what happens. We beefed you. shop. What's that? What's that sound? Is it the lamentations of your women? There you go. Conan. Lamentations is kind of Bible-y. That's in the Bible, dude. (laughs) <laughs> the word There's, lamentations. Is the word the Solomon is way more jacked than I would have thought. <laughs> Why is he doing dips? <laughs> but here's the thing. Now, so we thought, you know, the way we're going to get this thing kicked off is we're going to beef with someone, right. we're going to fire back, and we're going to get the attention. Right. You know, it's a, it's a time-tested social media marketing strategy. We want sweet, sweet podcasting numbers. Well, here's my... Is this the next evolution of this theory? Let's hear it. Is now, can we mafia-style lean on some of these bigger podcasts? It's a nice yeah. podcast to they have. need to pony up some of them numbers. Whoa, yeah. Okay. So, you know. It would be a shame if something happened to this podcast. Currently, number two on the chart, we have a Timothy Keller Sermons podcast by Gospel and Life. Do you want to be number 61 next mm. week when we check in? Yeah. You seem <laughs> comfortable been... at two. Yeah. You want to try 61, see how that tastes? Yeah. Okay, now I have to switch gears because now I've gone from bemused to angry. Please do. There's a thing, and I remind you, folks, we're not on we're not on the the chart at all. You can scroll yeah. all you want. You're not going to find us. We're we're a niche product. That's yeah. fine. We accept that. <laughs> but we're that, uh, we have a a, a small cult like following. We're an acquired taste that very few have acquired. We have being uh, that we chiefly talk about religion, we may want to avoid the word cult. Well, let's okay. That's good. Um, minions. One of <laughs> us. We we. <laughs> We have people who do our bidding. So what, what what yeah. would you call that? Say that one more time. We have people who do our bidding. What would sure, you call sure. that? Henchmen. Henchmen. You know, pawns. That's assholes. That's exactly what I was thinking. Pawns. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. That's what we have. Well, here's where and maybe we'll have to uh, crash land this here because I'm not sure we're gonna be able to go on after this. So you know, you got but a lot of these people <laughs> we may not agree with them. We can't agree with them. We don't know who they are. That's the but, real you know, problem. You got your Joel Lucines, your Timothy Kellers, and your Francis Chans, your Andy Stanleys, your Joyce Myers, your uh, TD Jakes, your Rob Bells, and these are all you know. I heard some of those names before. Yeah, these, these are people who have you know promotional departments and they're they're famous so we're, we're just trying to scratch out a little corner here that's for ourselves. Right. that's, that's right. okay and we don't want to release our uh uh, uh thugs to do our bidding not you at know. all we don't want to see it have to be we may that. have to we, we but, may have to if we're forced and i think that's where i'm going because the number 12 podcast in religion and spirituality is called and i'm not making this up the liturgists podcast <laughs> Hosted by the liturgists. Okay. Oh, well, that does make sense. What if that's a really good band or something? (laughs) Well. A very ironically named band. I have cracked, I have clicked on the description, and to that point, Lee, very prophetic, I've cracked the uh, mystery of how a podcast called the liturgists got on the top 20 of iTunes. Okay. Uh, The first name of a host is Michael Gunger. Ah, uh, uh, it makes a good bit of sense. There's a very big there it is. contemporary Christian band he's in. Oh, Gunger. I didn't know. So, that. but here's the thing, and I'm sure he's a nice man. I'm sure they're all lovely people. You named your podcast the Liturgists. Yeah, and it's more popular than ours. And that's not a that's not a world I'm comfortable living in. Yeah, we're gunning for you. So right now, gunning lit- for Gunger. Right, <laughs> there you that's, go. You hashtag that yeah. hashtag gunning hard. for Gunger. Yep. That feels so, right. That yeah. feels good. Right now, the liturgist has 268 <laughs> reviews on iTunes. Okay. Right. Last I checked, ours been a minute. We had somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of 70, which is lovely for a little outfit like we are. Yeah. 
Here's what I, we're going to need the people to do. Come on now. We're going to need you to go leave a review. Yeah. Right. On the Let's iTunes. Go. Help us out. Leave a review. And if you would, I'm going to need you to screenshot that review and post on social media, hashtag gunning for Gunger, because I want that to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Just for a week. Let's do this. And I want him, I'm sure he's a nice man, I want him checking and thinking like, what are they? And then being even it's more confused. Just a rising tide of people spitefully going after him. Man, yeah. I like Michael Gunger, Matt. I'm sure he's a nice man, but... But we're gunning for good. We're gunning for good. Two things. One, not a good <laughs> podcast name, bless you. And B, sometimes we just can't pass up the wordplay. That's right. It's not that we necessarily even want a gun for this dude. Right. We have the name to. We have to. We you made me. We're good for you. Now, as we all know, we plan here, we plan out here on the show. Maybe one of these days we'll uh we'll beef and then have reparations. Sure. With oh, that's Michael good. Yeah. I like having You gotta have the full cycle. Right. And I would hope that part of that would be him submitting a song for Bridgebox. Ooh, there you go. We've had other people do that. We've had your Eric Pe- your Eric's Peters. Yes. Your Ben's Banister. Your, your Glenn's Nina's Kaisers. Gl- your Glenn's Kaiser. So you're saying torturing him into it. Yes. Sure. Fantastic. And I want you as the listening audience to know, we have a plan for the whole cycle here. Sure. Absolutely. But we've got all sorts of people on Bridgebox that we've strong-armed into doing things for. Woo! Some of them submit songs. Some of them are our friends who are professors or lawyers or therapists who we make them write us uh, devotionals. They don't want to do it. That's right. We stick them in a room with a bare light bulb. We say, write. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that. Yeah. They got to learn how to get rest. Write it. And that's the kind of effort we put into Bridgebox. Is it morally questionable and legally actionable? Possibly. We'll find out. Of course. But- for now, it supports a lot of good inner city ministry. It helps us hire some part-time people. It helps us get bus passes, get people to job interviews, get people to housing shelters, all sorts of good stuff. You can sign up for that. Only $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we move on to our first question here. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end, and I will give you some ways to get in touch with us. It, this question comes in to our email address, and it says, Hi, guys. I'm a Say That super fan. Yeah. Original generation. Ooh, nice. Ooh, I OG. like... A little mm. bit of strife among the super fans. And I recently met with leaders of our church's prison ministry about joining. You were a major influence on my decision to get involved. You're I welcome. Assume, I assume by you he means Glenn. Mm-hmm. I'll be making my first visit to a prison worship service in the coming weeks, and I'm wondering what advice you have for someone getting started. What makes someone good at prison ministry? What makes them bad at it? And what shifts in perspective have you had to make as you've entered it? Love you guys, and thanks for the podcast. James of James and Ashley. Our friends yeah. out there in Colorado. So let's get, Jeremy, kick this off with you. And maybe we'll do a round of some specific prison ministry stuff. But if you're some out there, you don't do prison ministry, uh, hang out with us. We're going to wrap this up at the end. One of the things you'll find is prison is a very uh, extreme environment in which to do ministry, which means the stuff that works there works pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So right. we're going to give you some some ideas and techniques there specifically about prison. But one of the things, especially over here in Chicago, we don't have bridges. This is the kind of stuff that applies across the board. So, Jed, why don't you go and kick us off? Absolutely. Well, James, we're delighted to hear from you. We're delighted to hear that news. It's just fantastic, man. And uh, one thing, this will sound a little bit weird, man, but but go with me for a second. One of the things that is very, very important in the cross-cultural ministry context of prison ministry that kind of doesn't really exist in white suburban culture is the concept of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's weird to say that, but... If you, once you start doing prison ministry, you'll, you'll kind of see this white suburban culture doesn't respect anything. That's correct. Um, it's, it's, they have, they would say they don't disrespect things Yeah, and that that's what respect 
would be disrespect seen as active and respect seen as just kind of par for the course. Right. That's right. Yeah. Assumed. Yeah, but what it really turns out in comparison with most cultures on Earth is they just don't have a concept of respect at all. Mm-hmm, it it just right. it doesn't exist. They're, they're, functionally speaking, there isn't anything there. The reason I bring that up is that in many cultures on planet Earth, but certainly in the vast majority of prisons, respect is the currency of the realm. Right. That's how you begin and end. That's how you get anything done. That's mm-hmm. how you build relationships. That's how you do everything mm-hmm. is by showing respect to other people. Right. And so it becomes kind of a weird thing. You might say, well, but I mean, I, I respect them. So what do I, you know, what do I do? This is where it gets a little odd. Say the words out loud. Yeah, show respect. You say, I respect you. Mm-hmm. You say, well, on, on mm-hmm. what basis? Well, a starting point is... In at least in the United States of America, there's no such thing as a mandatory chapel service. Anybody right. who's coming to chapel is choosing to be there. And a right. lot of times, actually, the way these things are scheduled, they can go to chapel or they can watch the football game that's currently on the TV in the rec room. Right. Yeah, think, a lot of times it's their free time. That's exactly right. So mm-hmm. it's actually a major sacrifice to go to that chapel service on that on that basis. So you say out loud the words, I know you guys had a choice today. I know you chose to come to this service to learn about the Lord and and do some business with the Lord there. I respect that decision that you made. I respect your desire to learn more about Jesus. I respect your desire to better your life and have mm-hmm. um, spirituality be a part of that. Say those words out loud. Mm-hmm. It might sound like that would be weird and whatnot, and people would, you know, they will not think anything funny about that. That right. will tell them exactly where you stand. Similarly, you're there. They're, they're going to want to know, you walk in the room and meet them for the first time. Who is this dude? Why is he here? These are the two questions that they want to know. So answer both those questions. My name is James. I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I want to help you get closer to the Lord because I love you. I respect you and your desire to get closer to the Lord. That's who I am. That's what we're doing here. That doesn't seem, that just sounds like saying nice things, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but those, mm -hmm. it's not. Those are critically important details of who I am, who you are to me, what the basis of this relationship is. I'm here because I love Jesus and I love you. I respect you. That's the basis of our relationship. Now I'd like to talk to you about the Lord on that basis. That's a great place to start. I can't encourage you enough on this. Don't skip that step. That's right. For real, 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 don't skip that step. It's a fantastic uh, place to start off, and I would contextualize that by saying that is one of those key things that works in ministry. You're doing mm-hmm. children's ministry. You're doing big church. You're doing small group. If you yep. open with saying a uh, youth ministry, if you open and say, I know you don't have to come. Mm-hmm. I respect your time. I'm glad you're here. I know you're here for a reason. And let's get down to business. That's one of those things translates all across the path. And the, so the three of us up here in Chicago, we certainly do prison ministry as a very significant part of what we do. And even stuff like the bridge and all that has a very prison ministry ethos just happens to be on the outside. The bridge, I've heard Glenn described the bridge to people as a prison chapel service that just happens to take place on the outside. So Lee, maybe if you could uh, look to this question about what shifts in perspective did you have? Cause you had done many different other types of ministry before you started doing the prison stuff. So wh- yeah. maybe what shifted what you looked at? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely haven't done anywhere near the amount of prison ministry that these other three guys have, but definitely have done uh, prison chapel services for a number of years in, in our town and one of the things that uh, surprised me um, after going in and, and and actually talking to Glenn quite a bit and stuff, quite a little bit, uh, once I started going in there, is 
that I assumed, based on a lot of other ministries that I had done, that what you do is you get real prepared for the service that you're going to do, and then you go in and do the service that you prepared to do. And uh, I just found once I was once I kind of started going in and doing prison ministry that that didn't really work. Nobody uh, really cared or responded to that at all. Um, and so the shift, the the big shift that I made from the way that I traditionally done ministry was I started going in without um, without minutely planning out what our service was going to be. Um, and I went in. Um, now I, I did go in very prayed up. Uh, very, you know, very dependent on the Lord and that kind of stuff. But I went in and rather than preparing a big, you know, service, the traditional way that that you would plan a worship service or something like that, I went in and just talked to guys and find to find out how's your week been. Um, how did that, you know, the the this guy over here in the in the chapel service, I knew that he had an arraignment or something like that. He had a little hearing that he had to go to. Tell me how that went down. Or this guy hasn't talked to his son in three years, but they were going to have a conversation. Let's follow back up on how was that this week? Did you get to talk to your son and everything? And having the conversations and then finding out that they, these guys had a lot of things that they, they had a lot of questions. One, they had a lot of things that they felt that they wanted, um, that they wanted advice on, or they just wanted to talk about, or they wanted to air out. And the cool thing was, is that I found that encouraging them or even getting to a place of, uh, of, of digging into the scriptures and stuff like that, what was needed was all very, very simple, basic stuff of our faith, stuff that I already knew without minutely planning out some lesson or whatever. But when I did it that way, by talking to them first and then just going off the stuff that I already knew, all prayed up and dependent on the Lord, the response was so, so much better. Now, the cool thing on that is is exactly as Matt said, you get out in the rest of other ministries and do exactly the same thing. Um, you know, find out where people are. And then, um, you, know, you know, the prep work is being the man I'm supposed to be, yeah. you know, being prayed up, being dependent on the Lord, spending time in the Lord's word on my own so that I, so that I know what I'm talking about and stuff. But rather than minutely planning some lesson, go into a situation, find out what people's felt needs are. That's a, that's a Glenn phrase that you'll, you'll hear if you've listened to quite a bit of the show. Find out what people's felt needs are, and then talk out of what this, the basic stuff that you already know. The other thing I found was that um, encouragement is a very easy thing to do when you genuinely love someone. Mm-hmm. So when you, and, and, and all, the guys in, all the guys behind bars and all the women that I worked with behind bars that I did in, in various chapel services, they could tell that our love was for real. Mm-hmm. And they could tell that our, they, as, as Jeb was saying, they could tell our respect was for real, that our, love was, that our love was for real, and that we were sincere. And that gave us the right to be ourselves and to say what we need to say, and, uh, and it really opened the whole thing up. That's a really fantastic point. It does kind of play into a little bit of that idea of everything work, Everything that works on the inside is going to work on the outside. One of the reasons prison ministry keeps you sharp. I really like what Lee said there about the preparation for prison ministry being more on your own person than yeah. it is mm-hmm. programmatic. So one of the things that is far more amplified in prison ministry than other things is everything is fluid. Mm-hmm. They could like uh, I went in today to our Cook County service with our friend Pete and Jed's wife Hallie, and last time I'd been to this chapel service, this division Cook County, they had brought down thirty guys because that's right. just the number of pods and decks and all that deal and timing works out with visitation stuff. Today we had like eleven. Mm-hmm. So if we if Pete who runs our prison ministry had tried to do the exact same chapel service, right. that would have been a disaster. 
Right. Because you can't do high energy call and response songs with 10 people. Right. That's weird. Right. So yeah. we, we it, and he used a strategy Glenn gave him, which we break down, do some smart stuff. That's all great. But the preparation on our end as the three people going in, as Lee was pointing out, the prayer is very much the same. The what do we need? So I I really, Glenn, maybe you could pick up on that as the one of his heroes done by far the most prison ministry of that. Preparing, what type of stuff do you prepare when you go in as far as what you how you need to be, who you're looking for in the service, and that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, I think you, you want to have as much balance as possible. You, you want to have a sense of, uh, you know, you ha- having yourself in a place, whereas these guys are talking about where you're ready to engage with them. Here's what I think is is a big problem when when we're starting any kind of ministry. Uh, when you come from sort of a suburban, uh, more middle class, more white uh, uh, culture, uh, you amass power by uh, uh, transmitting to everyone, "I am legit. I know things. Yeah, I have uh-huh. the I have the diploma. I have the thing. I've been certified. I've been." Bonafide. I have the certification. I have the the ordination. Whatever these things are. And, and it's I'm not that maybe that's necessarily wrong, but it's if you're in a suburban environment, pe- that's what people want to see before you can get started. They want to see right. the degree. They want to see. Well, that's kind of the currency. It's the it's it's the currency rather than the respect, as Jed said. Yeah, that's right. So it puts you in a mindset of how do I demonstrate I am the man? Yeah, you know. Um, you don't want to take any of that mentality into this kind of environment. Won't work. It won't work. You're you're there to be a servant, as we often say on on the podcast. That that's the right perspective on, on what to do with this kind of stuff. So that means it you haven't succeeded when they buy into you as some great spiritual leader. You succeeded when you've raised them up to be spiritual leaders when they right. go back on that deck. So. It really doesn't have anything to do with them seeing you as Mr. Amazing, whatever. You're saying to them, I think you're amazing. I think yeah. what you're doing is real. And a part of what both of these guys are talking about is is communicating a clear sense of you are legit. You are bona fide. You're having a prayer time on this deck. That's right. real. That's real. Yeah. Christianity is happening for real here. Yeah. When you come and worship with us at chapel time, that's as that look, more church breaks out there than in most churches I've ever been in. Yeah. So this is real. When when you guys study the Bible and you get into the word, you understand that as well as a huge, huge percentage of church going people. And when you get out, we are going to introduce you to pastors that we know on the outside, they're going to value the opportunity to have you in their church. So everything that we're co- sort of communicating there is our um, aspirations and our uh, hopes and our high expectations for them. So that means I'm trying to um, invest, as these guys are talking about, in their lives, learning about them, uh, as, as exactly as Lee was talking about. What that does is it gives me a, an ability to reproduce myself and put myself out of a job. Therefore, I can go and say, okay, uh, here is a, 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 you know, a part of the chapel service, if it's a prayer time, if it's maybe just reading a Bible verse or something, and I can have that guy that I'm raising up participate in that. Mm-hmm. And that's me showing that the guys who attend that chapel service 
uh, are as legit a part of this thing as I am. So I'm in a, in a sense, I'm trying to give away all of that leadership as much as possible, mm -hmm. raise other people up. Um, <clears throat> and the reason why we we're pointing that out, it probably seems logical to people who hear this and they think, okay, yeah, that's that all sounds good and it's you know whatever. But it's actually maybe the opposite of a lot of things that you've seen. If you're part of a large church, you know, we see a lot of larger churches, I mean like megachurch-sized churches, where there's one guy. He's El Hombre. And he's amazing, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> he cast a vision. He's, uh, he's casting visions all over, over the place. To, I went over to his house and did the dishes once. Real thing awesome. that actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, now here's what happens is when we want to, when we have too many people to fit in this building, we got to start a second thing. Yeah. But we have to beam his sermon over to the other. Why is that? It wouldn't work without Pastor Awesome. But, yeah, because here's the thing. He hasn't raised other people up. Yeah. If uh -huh. you come to the bridge, you are as likely to hear a member of my staff preach as you will hear me preach there. Yeah. You'll make note uh, that on a good day, they are well and truly not only in my league, but in the league of all the other pastors that are there, uh, so that uh, I have lifted all of these other people up so that they That's can, right. uh, that they can uh, and, and, and people can perceive they're as strong as whatever. So that's a kind of missions-type perspective we're trying to sell you on here. I think it's really, it's a lot of great stuff. So there's a lot to take in there. There's a lot you're going to unpack kind of over some time of doing, whether that's prison ministry or any other ministry, like I said, those principles are going to work. You don't have to cram them all in the first time. That's okay. One thing that I would add on to this as far as, you know, I'm relatively new to prison ministry. I've been doing the bridge for a while, but we've only really done jail chapel service, I guess, the last year or so yeah. on a regular basis. Um, as, as well as other, even this is true of other ministry environments, sometimes you, you want to come in and meet the vibe. Mm -hmm, so I mean mm -hmm. by that. So if you come to the room, everybody's a little quiet, you can be quiet too. If you come mm -hmm. to the room, everybody's energetic, you can be energetic. That does work in a jail service in some ways. Here's one way you don't do that. You got you got to be the mushy one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's one. Mm -hmm. If you went into a jail service with Glenn, you would be shocked right. at the at just the kind of heart on your sleeve mm -hmm. version of you be because these do the guys or gals if you do on the lady side, kind of double true if you do on a lady side. That's a hard life. They got a hard look in their face. That's all self-defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. So for you to communicate, this is something different. I'm a different kind of person. We're doing a different thing here. That's you have to put that stuff out there. You can't wait right. for them to put the yeah. kind of vibe into the room. And we said all this, if you do those things, if you show respect, if you are warm, if you are in your life, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a set the world on fire preacher. You don't have to be, you know, uh, the dude who knows all the answers. A Putting a little heart out there and being a cool guy to talk to, that gets you a mile ahead yes. in prison ministry. Yep. And so you're going to do a great job. Anybody who wants to be involved in this, uh, feel free to write us about this. There's a great post up on Glenn's blog right now, UncleGlenn.com, yep. where I think it was James' exact question. I think James mm -hmm. wrote into you, mm -hmm. where he broke down a little bit more of that stuff. So we we love helping you guys out on ministry stuff you're doing. There's a lot of cool, cool stuff going on, particularly prison ministry. That's something we know about. So don't be shy about asking. All right, we're going to... Okay, so we got another author interview for you guys this week. This is a guy called John J. Thompson, wrote a great book called Jesus, Bread, and Chocolate, Crafting a Handmade Faith in a Mass Market World. He's a good dude. He's actually from the Chicago area, grew up uh, around some of the places we do some work. Uh, he worked in music publishing, speaking, a bunch of other stuff. He has some music stuff down there in Nashville. But he's got a really cool idea about kind of consumerism and the way it's um, affected Christianity and kind of fighting back against that. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. We're going to take you that interview right now. I'd love to start off, I mean, the, the 
the subtitle of the book really kind of sums it up a lot that crafting a handmade faith in a mass market world but what does that mean to you that idea of an artisanal faith it's a fascinating thing but what does it actually kind of mean on a practical level well uh, it just seems that as we look around as i look around i see evidence everywhere that this gospel message has been so processed and packaged and turned into such a commodity that i think in a lot of cases it's actually lost its essence and we've lost the plot and i know that in my own life uh, i started to encounter all kinds of evidence that the values of commerce and commercialism and uh, commodification were affecting how I engaged with other people and how I formed community, how I even created and appreciated music and food and everything else. And, and the more I pulled on that thread, the more everything kind of started to unravel a little bit. And it was kind of good news because at the end of that was this realization in my own life, in my own heart, that I needed to rescue my faith and my identity, really, which are intertwined, from the clutches of commodification. And in the process of doing that, it actually is a, is a good news story, and it was a lot of fun to see reverberations from these ideas bouncing back off of all these fun things, food and drink and friends and music and awakening different things in different people. But the, there's that common thread through all of it that we really need to rescue this thing. Like we, we just can't succumb. We can't fully surrender it to the, uh, to the madness of the marketplace. We need to actually kind of protect the flame as it were. And, um, and it can be done. Well, I'm interested in what you said there about, you know, connecting with people across a spectrum, because if you just look at the the kind of stereotype of the, the Christian who cares a lot about, you know, coffee roasting, it tends to read as a pretty privileged position. You know, it's kind of easy to write that uh-huh. off, you know, the hipster Christian Twitter yep. accounts and that kind of stuff. There's, there's a vision yep. of the kind of person who cares about that stuff, but that's, A, if people read the book, which I hope they do, that's really not your story. You you know, you started out in uh, Aurora and an urban ministry, which some people may only know Aurora from Wayne's World, but that's really not super how it is anymore. It's hey, at rough. least they know it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's a pretty rough place. So, yeah. but to come at that from, it's not a position of privilege. It's not a, uh, it's not someone who doesn't have better things to think about. This came from a real place of really trying to do ministry, really trying to accomplish things. So what have you seen that might surprise people who want to write it off as, oh, this is just kind of a white guy who wants wants church to be like a coffee shop? What's what's the deeper underpinning right. there? Wow, there's, there's so many. Um, I would agree with that assessment. And in fact, I've seen, been sent many books that I didn't even... Uh, wasn't even terribly interested in because I prejudged it. And, um, and sometimes later when I read it, I was glad, but the, this, um, boy, on two sides, one is that even the fact that someone would be dismissive of, you know, what I would offhandedly call hipster Christianity or something like that. Um, it indicates that they're at very great risk of missing an important point because, if you see someone wearing suspenders and dressed like a prospector with, you know, uh, <laughs> putting a whole lot of effort into looking like 
they just crawl out of a time machine or, you know, something like that. And they really feel more uh, in touch with a previous generation. Now you can dismiss that as silliness if you want, but, and I have, (laughs) I'm sure that, I'm sure that when I was a teenager wearing fake leather pants and studded dog collars and had my hair sticking everywhere. And I was trying to look as shocking and punk rock and heavy metal all at once as I possibly could. I'm sure there were, plenty of people who could dismiss me and probably should have. But um, I think that the things that we dress ourselves in, and you can take that wherever you want, they indicate stuff that's going on on the inside. And so for me, I didn't realize until well into the process that coffee, for instance, was really more of a symptom and an indicator than it was the main point. Another example of something that's been surprising are people who are deeply invested in an entirely different type of work that found resonance with the ideas in the book. For instance, um, I met a a guy right when the book came out uh, and he's in Las Vegas and for years has been working uh, in rescuing women from uh, human trafficking long since long before it was a trendy, cool thing. This guy's name's Michael Bartel free international is the organization. And, Michael and his wife, they've been invested in this work since long before it was trendy. So now you tell somebody, well, I'm really passionate about, you know, the human trafficking issue. It's easy to dismiss that and go, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the cause du jour or whatever. Well, <laughs> it's still an important cause. And, and Michael, when he read the book, he saw all these parallels between the commodification of food and the commodification of people. And he pointed out to me that sex trafficking and the sex trade, whether it be pornography or prostitution or sex slavery, um, it's all about commodifying human beings. And he saw this direct resonance that applied to, to that, which I didn't even talk about in the book. And honestly, it hadn't even occurred to me. That's a really fascinating idea. It sounds like one of the, as you're talking about the meta ideas there, whether it be just at face value with things like uh, coffee and chocolate or something as serious as human trafficking, or even just our faith in general, some of this artisanal thinking is asking questions about where this come from, came from and how it was made. You know, the, the mm-hmm. essence of commodification is you just kind of take what the package is yep. given to you. But the funny thing about that, it seems like the, the, the guy's commodification comes in, can sneak into whatever, you know, the suspenders and the nice coffee and the the mandolin and i'm from tennessee i think a mandolin should be in everything but that (laughs) flavored music can be as commodified it sounds like you're talking about kind of a thought process that says like what you like but dig into it think about it yep yeah exactly you can kind of think through everything and find a way that this human tendency to simplify and package and make convenient Uh, has reduced things sometimes very effectively i'm glad i have a car and i can travel great distances in a relatively small amount of time i like traveling on airplanes i i say in the book i'm kind of glad that you know we don't have little individual armies in every neighborhood (laughs) you know it's like there's there's times when that kind of corporate large-scale thing is helpful you know but we have to be mindful of it and understand it and i think that we are so steeped in it that we've become thoughtless about it. We don't analyze these things. We're not uh, conscious of it. We're just consuming, consuming, consuming. And the result is we have this 
product called Christianity that is wide open to be completely misdirected and distracted from the things we actually see and know we're called to do as Christians. And we can just get completely sidetracked by entertainment or politics or, you know, whatever else. And, and that commodification is really because we, we are distant from the source. Well, you mentioned worship there. I think that's fascinating on two fronts. Maybe we can close on this. First of all is obviously worship is a thing that is widely vulnerable to commodification, be that Christian radio or kind of how to lead and how to write worship song conferences. And of your varied uh, kind of resume as a writer and a speaker and a, a music executive, one of the things you're doing now is as the associate dean of the Triveca School of Music and Worship Arts. So how has it been trying to communicate these ideas to people who want to be worship leaders? How's it been trying to, what are the things you tell people to kind of get them thinking this way? You know, uh, you're right that worship is definitely at risk when it comes to this stuff. The very concept of worship is something that we need to, in some cases, rediscover. This idea that worship are the songs we sing before the sermon or that worship is a particular kind of style of music is just uh, it's just sad you know, mm-hmm. that it's gotten to that point. So I think as with, it, as with most of these things, the first step sometimes is to detox. And so the, the nice thing about working with college students is they have a lot more openness. You know, they haven't the same mistakes for too terribly long yet. <laughs> so you have a chance to actually form a foundation there uh, in what I have so far experienced to be very fertile, soft soil. Um, it's not the, the same as the person who's, you know, got an overhead that they've established in life and they got to pay the bills and, you know, they get paid to do X, Y, or Z and, you know, to rock the boat jeopardizes their job and you know that's that's a a challenge that we need to tackle as the body of christ as a community but that's not the same with a college student you get a chance to cast a vision that hopefully you can sort of infect them with uh, young but (laughs) but really uh, i do think that it comes down to first understanding the essence of the thing you know whatever that thing is so when it comes to worship what is worship what is our theology of worship how much time have we spent studying the scriptures and praying and learning and reading good books and understanding just the whole idea of what worship is, sometimes, you know, well, not sometimes, I think all the time we need to be thinking about worship in a much more expansive sense. What is it that we're doing individually and as communities of faith that kisses toward God, that shows God's worth, you know, that makes God famous as as one scripture said it's you know what it's not just the songs that we're singing and it's not just an emotional experience we have uh with a particular particularly passionate song it's about getting out and doing things in the name of christ it's about making the world a better place about demonstrating god's love to broken people and about singing songs and about quoting and understanding scriptures and uh meditating on the word and about sitting around a table together with people who you are, you know, rowing in the same direction with through life. All of that stuff can be worship or it can be commodified. Fantastic uh, thing to look at. I think the worship idea is a great microcosm of the way you think through this stuff. I'm thankful for your time. Our, this has been sure. uh, John J. Thompson. The book is Jesus, Bread, and Chocolate, Crafting a Handmade Faith in a Mass Market World. It's available 
everywhere, which is weird to say after you <laughs> just, but you know, as he, as he said, you know, the mass market can do good things. Like you can get this book. Or you can it. buy it from my website and I'll hand write the whole thing for you on uh, parchment that comes from trees that I shaved down in my backyard. Absolutely. That website, if you want a hand hewn <laughs> copy of the book. I'm kidding. Though. No, it's on a podcast. That's legally binding, I believe. <laughs> it's actually jesusbreadchocolate.com and yeah it's uh i'm totally kidding but I, w- I will sell the book or some coffee if you want it to absolutely john thanks so much for your time that was awesome man thank you all right so i was really cool to talk with john we hope you enjoyed that book is definitely worth checking out but there's a kernel of an idea in there that got us thinking this kind of idea of artisanal thinking about stuff, you know, John was talking about coffee and worship and other stuff. When, when you break it down to its kind of constituent parts, you can learn more about it, what it's actually meant to do. When you realize what it's meant to do, you can actually do it in a more effective way as opposed to kind of the prepackaged thing you're sold. So I asked these guys to think about just maybe a short example they could give from their own life where that kind of looking at something, the way it's made, what it's meant to do, helped them kind of have a breakthrough on something. And Glenn, why don't you just go first? For sure. You know, part of my job uh, uh, working uh, at the bridges with pastors, helping them with preaching, and I, it's funny, when you know how to do something, it doesn't mean that you know how to teach it. And similar to what you're saying, I had to kind of break down what I knew about it or, you know, sort of teach myself in, in a certain kind of way in order to teach them. Uh, and what we discovered is it was important uh, in terms of sort of deconstructing it to look in terms of separating out delivery, that is the way you say stuff from the content, that mm. is the stuff that you, the, the spiritual stuff that you want to say there. And it, once you separate those two out, the, the it becomes very s- simple to recognize that if you have really good content that that can definitely overcome the delivery. If the if you have really good delivery with no content, it doesn't go very far. You mm-hmm. know, you, it, it's a it it it's there's not much to that, so it, it doesn't give you a lot of effectiveness. Uh, but what we learned is that if you have a delivery that's as close as possible to your natural personality, it's always way better. And if the content really focuses on moving us from what is real to the ideals that we mentioned in Scripture, you know, mapping out that road between the real story where we are at and the ideals we're shooting for, uh, if it if it has that element to it and it's delivered in a natural in your natural voice with your personality, it's a thousand times better than mm-hmm. anything else you can do. And what I just described is also. Mm-hmm. The simplest way of doing yeah. it, you know, yeah. I'm, de- I'm yeah. deconstructing that, but it's also very easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. Lee, what about you? I think, uh, you know, you know, in, in my line of work, I think a lot of people that are in a pastoring profession or discipleship and stuff like that, the the, the idea of where people want to be is in the in the big room with the mic talking to as many people as possible that's where you would think mm. your effectiveness is the greatest or you you know writing a blog post and you have as much response as possible or a book or something like that and the thing that i've found uh in doing ministry for quite a little time uh, you know quite quite a a number of years at this point is the times when i'm when i feel the most um excited about what the lord's called me to do and feel the most effective is when I'm one-on-one with somebody. 
Yeah. And we're down in the middle of their problems. So I'm one-on-one on a phone call. I'm one-on-one at a coffee shop face-to-face. For a lot of people in this role, you think ministry effectiveness is you're in a big room with a mic to as many people as possible. But the thing that I found is, is no, when you're when you're eye to eye with somebody and they're and they're giving you direct feedback from the thing you just said, and then you meet that second and third time and you watch the growth and you watch the Lord working in these specific areas and getting down deep into some of these problems, that's where you see the most growth, that's where you see the most effectiveness. And it's it's counterintuitive to what people think uh ministry effectiveness over time for somebody that's experienced, trained, and effective, what that would look like. That's a great Amen. point. Jed? I would just echo what these guys are already saying. I think, you know, whenever the, there's that sense of something authentic and real and true, I think it's just 10 times as powerful. It, music is a perfect example of that. You know, um, John and us actually have a mutual friend in our buddy, Eric Peters, who is a really amazing singer-songwriter. And part of what makes him so powerful is he keeps it real. He's yeah. he's being honest. He's being open. He's being authentic. And the funny thing is, his music, like the the sonic side of it, uh, the melodies and the chords, they reinforce that honesty and that authenticity. You know, the mm-hmm. the music and his words are saying the exact same thing. You right, know, there right, right. there's a realness and an authenticity there, and it makes it so much more powerful for that. We it's a completely different style of music. We have a buddy you'll hopefully be hearing from him soon on our podcast named C W Allen. He's a hip hop uh, artist here in Chicago and a great guy, and uh, he's got a track about dealing with his father passing away, mm. and um. Uh, and he keeps it real in that in terms of the lyricism, but he keeps it real in that in terms of the music. And all of that points in one direction, just like Glenn's talking about with the preaching, where it's, it's this is the real deal, and I'm expressing it as myself. This is not mm-hmm. an affectation. This is, this right, is the right. real deal. It's ten times more powerful that way. Yeah. That's all really great stuff. And again, we want to thank John for uh, taking the time to chat with us. All right, we're going to go to our final question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, How do you know God's will in dating relationships? I'm currently dating a guy I really like. He was raised in church. We've prayed together. He enjoys going to church with me. We're trying to keep sexual boundaries. He's not totally crazy about the idea, but he's okay with it. We get along, we get along really well, and although it's only been a few months, it would be nice to know if God approves of this relationship. And Lee, why don't you start us off? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thanks for writing the question in. Really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that where you are right now today in this sounds, in some ways, okay. In some ways, mm-hmm. it sounds, this is pretty good. Um, here's the thing is that there's something that God wants for you that's amazing. Not okay or mm, pretty good, like in a real high pitched voice. Like that's mm. that's that's okay. That it's good works or something. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's that's not what God wants for you. He doesn't want something that's okay or pretty good. He wants something amazing. My prophecy on this is that you're going to see this whole thing way differently in a few months' time because. Right now, you're trying to you know, maintain these physical boundaries, and this dude's going along with it, even though he doesn't agree or like it. So right now, that's kind of working. That's not going to last very long. Um, and he's doing that because he likes you. Right now, you love Jesus, and this guy's going to church with you because he likes you. That's not going to last all that long. Obviously, the thing that you super need is you need a wise, strong woman of God who knows her stuff and who can listen to you and watch the whole thing go down and kind of help you see the nuances and the stuff that you're missing and stuff like that. Because to me, this this whole thing feels like, um, it feels like 
you're like uh, like snow sledding down a, a hill with like a fence at the bottom of it. Like right now, it's kind of fun and and everybody likes sledding, but there's this awful thing coming at the end unless you bail. And that's kind of the way I see this is that this, you know, some of this stuff sounds okay, but there's something awesome that God wants for you. And it ain't this. It's not a guy who's grudgingly going to church and I guess we'll do this physical boundaries thing for a little while because you guys flat out, here's the thing, you're not on the same page about everything that matters. And so whatever, wherever it is right now, it's, um, it's not sustainable. That's really an excellent point to start off. It's, it's probably true. Let's not yeah. let's not overlook that. So, but on this, it's probably definitely true in this particular situation. And Lee is the guy who would know. There's a lot going on here. But let's maybe take that physical, which is a huge red flag. Don't skip over that. But in order, and the idea of broadening out this question, look at this more. What it, what does God think of relationships? How do we access that? Jed, maybe you can give us some left and right limits. Kind of looking at that bigger picture question. Sure. So your question is, what does God think of relationships generally? What is? How do I know if God wants me to be in this relationship or not? Let's say we don't have the big red flag details. Just mm. I'm dating a guy. He's he's. It's fine. We're both pretty Christian. But how do how do I know if God wants me to be in this or not? Hmm. Well, I think one of the things. I think one of the things that we want to look at is. Christians have a way of jumping straight to what does God want? And th- that's a really good question to ask. We do want to ask that. But they have a way of skipping what do you want mm-hmm. be- before they uh, just along the way. And the problem is if you're not answering what you want, it's actually super hard to differentiate what God thinks about yes. this. Um, so we may want to begin with what do you want to see happen here? Um, mm-hmm. Part of what Lee is implying, and, and probably correctly, is it sounds a little bit like you might be settling here. And is that what you want to do? Do, mm-hmm. do you want to be in a relationship with somebody that's kind of a match for you? Kind of, sort of, maybe, not really? And if you do, why is that? What is it that, that you know, Lee is saying, and he's no question correct, God does want something amazing for you. That's absolutely true. Would you rather have the thing that's right in front of you than that something amazing? Because if the mm-hmm. answer to that is yes, we should really figure out why that is. What's right. what's driving you to feel like you'd rather take what you have right now rather than something amazing? Here, here's the thing I would encourage you to ask yourself because I think it will help you figure out what you want and what God wants perhaps at the same time. And that is to ask, what is what is the overlap on the core values that both you and this dude have? In other words, when you when you catalog the things you guys care most about in life, right? Are they the same things? All right. Um, the funny thing about that is that it's not that one set would be good morally and one set would be bad morally. It is don't that kind of be the wrong way to look at it. It's far more just are you guys pointed in the same direction? I'll give an example of what I mean. Some people want to have a dozen kids. They want, they want to have 15 kids. They want to adopt 30 kids. That's just, mm-hmm. that's their heart's aspiration. Other people don't want children at all, period, the end. Mm-hmm. This would be kind of a significant disconnect in core values. Oh, yeah. It's it's not that one of those is morally right and one of them is morally wrong. It's It's not like that. But it would involve a major compromise in the things we really care about to have those two people have a long-term relationship together, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one person might want to have a hard-charging career in the city, 
you know, with the bustle and it's, it's a thing and, you know, 80 hour weeks and I'm going to make my way. Another person just wants a peaceful, placid life on a farm. That's all I've ever wanted. When I, again, it's not that one of these is good and one of these is bad. It's just they are very different. There's mm-hmm. really not an overlap between those two things. You can start to get into stuff where there's more of a moral component. For example, do we, you know, one person may say, I want a life where there's a living, breathing, active relationship with God, where kind of as, as the Bible says in, in the book of, I think it's in Joshua, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, that's, that's the way I want it to be for me is, the, you know, we, we seek wisdom from the Lord about our specific life and then we go out and we, and we live that. The other person may say, hey, I want to be generally good and moral, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, but past that, I'm going to kind of do what I do. That's, mm-hmm. that's the way I want it to go down. There's actually not an overlap between those two lives. Right. Th- yeah. Those are super duper not the same. So I think the thing, it sounds like, and part of what Lee is, I think, responding to in your questions, it sounds like at this stage there's a, a not a lot of overlap between core values for you two guys. It, right. it sounds like that. We could be wrong. It's possible that you guys are a super great match, but what you're right. describing hints in that direction. But here's the thing. Um, get it out in the open. Look yeah. at it. Talk mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. What are the things I care about? What are my non-negotiables in life? What are the mm-hmm. things I don't ever want to betray this value in myself? Get him to articulate the same things. Right. If there's not an overlap there, then it's probably not a good idea. Right, um, right, it's probably right. not a good idea from your perspective. It's probably not a good idea from God's perspective. If you have something, you're saying, no, man, we really care about all the same stuff and we're on the same page and we, we want God's involvement in our life to look the same way and whatnot. Well, then you may really have something there. You'll still have issues and problems and, and, you know, maybe there's, you know, you still have a hard time with physical boundaries because every dating couple has a hard time with physical boundaries sure, and yeah, whatnot. Really. But if you say, no, we've gone through, and we've looked at it, we're on the same page, we're going the same direction. Then I think you can have a lot of confidence that this is at least a healthy relationship that can make sense and can go in a good direction and at that point it's a lot easier to go to the lord and and seek wisdom on is this the right person and, and is this are we pointed in a good direction a direction that's pleasing lord to you that is a really great kind of pull back of the camera on that and i'd love to get glenn maybe close up by doing that another step because it this is not a relationship specific question in the overall. Right. It's not like you discern God's will for a relationship in a different way than you discern his will for other things. That's right. So uh, what does that process look like in a general sense that we could then apply to this situation? Well, yeah, I think it, it really begins with, as Jed was talking about this idea of it, you, knowing how you feel about yeah. it helps you to set it aside, you know, uh, but it also helps you understand your own uh, prejudices about things, your own uh, predetermined uh, beliefs about things. In other words, if you think dating is essentially super scary and dangerous and probably not advisable, you probably shouldn't do it unless everything is like perfectly yeah. whatever, because otherwise it could blow up in your face and kill you or something. Right. <laughs> then you're going to have an attitude of God probably doesn't want me to do it unless I hear specifically that this is an exception to the rule or something yeah. like uh-huh. that. That's a bad assumption. Yeah. It's like assuming that it's bad to watch TV because occasionally there's stuff on there that shouldn't be on there, or bad to use the computer because yeah. it's connected to the internet where they have porn on it. You yeah. know, it really depends on what you do with this relationship, and yeah. that if if your desire, if your heart, if your intent 
it's to honor God with this relationship that it would it, that it would glorify God in the way that you live it out. Then I think the, the your assumption ought to begin to really go the other way that that you would assume that God would be interested in two people who love each other and that care about uh, Him and and want to glorify Him with this relationship. Then I think that would be fine, uh, and we we should assume that there's that has a basic shape of reasonably good stuff to it. But are there extenuating circumstances? Is there something unusual about this situation that would make that something where the Lord would want to intervene and tell us no, hold off, and whatever? I'm with these guys. I think you know, uh, you know, it's it, it's hard for us to get a sense, and it may be hard for you to get a sense of of. Uh, where you are on the physical boundary issue from the standpoint of it. Well, first of all, nobody likes physical boundaries. So (laughs) if that's what he's expressing, then that's actually probably healthy and good. Um, If you're by the same token, if you're expressing to him that you just get super scared and freaked out at the thought of physical contact and, and sexual stuff, then actually you're the one that needs to work on some issues before we are ready to move forward uh, because that's that's not, you know, the, uh, romantic relationships involve physical contact. That's, that's right. kind of, the two go together. And, and, the, and again, it's, it's bad if we're making assumptions that God doesn't like people who love each other kissing and holding hands or something right. like that. You know, that's, those are, those are, are, are assumptions that you're making that don't have to do with Scripture, that don't have to do with anything that God has ever told you. Uh, maybe stuff you're reading, stuff in the culture, some stuff that's just in the air, who knows what. But uh, that's not an assumption that, that you know, is, is safely made. So I think ultimately it's about uh, recognizing uh, that this really has to do with where is this relationship pointed what yeah. what what is where is it going what is it achieving what is what's going to go on with it will we be able to do more together than we could separately for example just to jump in matt you'd ask for some left and right boundaries i think that'd be really good because we're speaking in a lot of generalities on this which we kind of mm-hmm. have to because we don't yeah. have a lot of information just to give you some left and right boundaries if you're asserting to this person <laughs> I don't want us to have vaginal intercourse prior to marriage right. because there's a clear biblical mandate against that. Right. And this person's saying, I don't really like that, but I'll kind of go along yeah, with it. That's a problem. That's a red flag. Yeah. Um, right. that, that would be a limit in, in one direction. Right. A limit in the other direction, which is part of what Glenn is describing, is if you're saying, I want our first kiss to be at the altar. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, no. um, and this and this dude's saying, that sounds a little crazoid, but... I, I guess so. That's actually too far in the other direction. And That's again, right. kind of, if he's the problem in the first scenario with, you know, vaginal intercourse, right. you would be the problem here. Right. Well, there's actually a, a middle to that, which, again, part of the reason we, we don't want to speak too definitive about this is, uh, even about your situation is, we have, you know, we have three sentences about it. Right. If you say, look, I think, yeah. you know, physical boundaries are important. He says, oh, you're right. That super sucks. I super don't want to do that. Right. But you're right. Yeah. That's fine. That's yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, the honesty piece. Yeah, that's yeah. a you reasonable response. Yeah, for sure. Also, it's a seller. Those are red flags. Somebody says, hum diddly, I think that's super that sounds neat great. As well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But to I think to pick up on exactly to close that pick up on what Glenn's saying there, there is a process on this that applies to all this stuff. And one is it starts in generalities and then it funnels to a specific. So you know God does not want you to have sex before you get married. Yeah. That's in the Bible. 
there we said it. Yep. So if you're with someone who says, oh, no, premarital sex, that's my deal. Uh, that's I'm my jam. To it. That's, that's kind of the whole point of dating for me. Just, that's not going to work. God does not want you to be in that right. relationship. We yep. can safely say that. You, If you have a walk with the Lord and you know that God wants to be with someone who does the same thing, then that's, you know, if they're not on that, you're not on that. Then it kind of whittles down to, the, and those are things we can get from Scripture. The next level of that is you can talk to uh, mentors, friends, people who know tr- you trust, know your life, and they say, I don't really, he's, you know, he seems like a nice dude and all, but I don't know if I see you with someone like that and hear the reasons, this, that, and the others. Glenn's saying, here's maybe something you don't see because you're caught up in it. And then that final kind of, uh, that final level of specificity is prayer. And we can't, it's actually not a good idea to jump right to that. Yeah. Because you want to narrow some stuff down first. You yeah. Know, if you go straight to, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, if you go straight to the big question, especially if you're new to kind of listening directly to the Lord, that can that can kind of haywire some things. If you can get down to, God, is this guy's attitude about physical boundaries acceptable or unacceptable? Right. Yeah. That's the thing that you can, as we, we talked about in other episodes, you can clear your mind, you can pray it up, and you can get a sense of that. Then you can kind of backtrack mm-hmm. from that. So if we take this from being a relationship question, which it is, and I think the guys did a great job handling that, if we pull that out to, you know, how do you know God's will in stuff in my life? Yeah. Starts with there are things we know from the Bible that are just out. So we can, if okay, it didn't trip that wire. Then we can move to there are things I can talk to people about and who I trust and we didn't really figure anything out that then the that we can go to okay I'm praying about this specific thing and that's a process you get better at that but that works for a lot of things it certainly works in this situation and one of the things about that is the more specific you can get if you're early in your journey of listening to the lord the more specific you can get about god is it this or that that's a great place to start when you're praying and looking to listening and then you can kind of extrapolate out from there all right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We want to thank John J. Thompson again for the interview. You can check the book out on Amazon. I'm sure we'll put a, I'll put a link on this iTunes. And we're going to take out the song this week. This is a song Jed wrote called Different. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like, a lot of stuff we talked about in the interview. It also awesome. kind of seeing stuff like there's this particular version the vocals are done by our friend down there natural Haley connor they enjoy that so we take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it the say that podcast heads up christian podcast we're getting for you that's good that's good as i think so i live and i
different, so I live different, so I.